on today's episode, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Timmy, Mr. Money Jar. It's very, very tough for people right now. On the one hand, inflation is 10.1%. You've got the governor of the Bank of England saying, don't ask for pay rises. So stuff's really expensive over here, but you're not being paid over there. But we had a budget statement in the middle of March, which had nothing for people under the age of 30. When it comes to savings, start small, start ridiculously small, even if it's five pounds in a month. We live in a culture where we gauge the success of a society by the wealthiest and most like successful people in that society. But I think it should be the other way around. I think we should gauge the success of a society by how well off the most vulnerable person is. If you're young, you have to go through a period of your life where you're doing the nine to five thing and you're working for money. But I think that we should all be aiming to be passionate about what we do. What's actually most important in life when you're young is to be present and to have fun. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. We talk to these people about risk. Risks they've taken in their lives, risks they've taken in their careers, when they paid off and when they didn't. Timmy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Roy. So we've had some amazing life, life-focused conversations on the two conversations that we've had previously and it's um it's really interesting to see that you are such a deep thinker and and do have such interesting um you know propositions interesting perceptions around what's going on in the world around us and i think that is why you've done such an amazing job of distilling what is a subject that causes anxiety for so many people it's probably the biggest factor that causes sleepless nights and when i consume your content I feel at ease, you know, I I really feel that. And I think a lot of that, although, you know, without speaking to you, maybe I didn't realize that previously, but I think because you are so cerebral, that sense of ease, that sense of comfort, that sense of of education comes across so strongly. And I think it's one of the reasons your career has just, you know, continues to go in the most amazing way. So what huge fan of yours and your content, as you know, and be following it for a long time. So let's jump into how did it start? How did you decide to take the risk of putting yourself out there and becoming Mr. Money Joe? Thank you. I just want to say thank you for having me on the podcast. And yeah, it is weird to think that we've only spoken twice because in many ways you do feel like an, an old friend. I feel like you kind of see me and, and get me. And I think the cerebral thing um, for me is historically... Uh, maybe put people off or they've gone okay is this guy capable of speaking about anything like surface level <laughs> see if I can do that today um, no so I appreciate it I appreciate you man um, but yeah how did I how did I get started um, I there few, there's a few things going on there I guess I've always been know-it-all and I'm now a professional know-it-all and I used to work not too far away from the studio actually um, in a PR and marketing company that had a lot of financial clients and I worked in research. So in, in, a, in a funny way, a lot of things I've done in my career have coalesced into like Mr. Money Joel, what I'm doing now because at the time I was crunching numbers, I was doing work for insurance clients, investment clients, banking clients and I just took an interest in what those clients did. I wanted to be good at my job. But at the same time, I was also a young person working for the first time in my overdraft, going out for drinks, mm-hmm. paying rent. I was doing all that stuff, paying into a pension, and I didn't understand 
any of how it worked. I was like, I know that paying into a pension is important, but like, I don't know what, like, what's happening with this money essentially. And um, I actually remember a day when the company I was working at changed pension provider mm-hmm. and um, they invited in a woman from the new platform that I still use now actually, Hargreaves Lansdowne to come in and kind of talk to us about some of the changes. I remember she put on a screen, she was like, okay, you can put your pension money into a cautious fund, a medium fund, or like a risky fund. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, early 20s at the time. And I go to her, oh, okay, which fund should I put my money into? And she goes, oh, I'm really sorry, I can't tell you. <laughs> um, I'm not a financial advisor. And then we then spent the next 15 minutes staring into each other's eyes. So... It was at that point I was like, come on, man, you need to understand this stuff. So I educated myself, read loads of books, watched loads of videos, podcasts, that sort of thing. And um, once I got to a point where I felt confident um, with my knowledge, I then started to create content and share it with other people. I think that's an amazing thing to do because I think traditionally wealth creation and people who have the access to the information required to go into that space tend to be quite exclusive about it yeah right they don't necessarily want to share that information so once you started unlocking this and the understanding of how you could put yourself in a better financial position what made you and what was that driver for you to say do you know what actually i want to take the risk of starting to share this information educate others rather than just being like great i know what i'm doing i'm going to focus on me and just yeah that's that's my thing what 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 led to that well, I guess it was just, I'm not going to claim that like I knew that we'd end up in a cost of living crisis or anything like that at the time, but I've just always had this hunch that like everyone is better off if everyone is better off. I think what we're seeing in society at the moment is that it does no good. The, the private and like solo acquisition of wealth of, of private um, individuals benefits only those individuals, right? If, uh, and, and we live in a culture where we... Um, gauge the success of a society by the wealthiest and most like successful people in that society but i think it should be the other way around i think we should gauge the success of a society of a society by how well off the um most vulnerable person is love that i love that so just off the back of that sound bite when am i seeing your political career <laughs> take off <laughs> uh 2028 nice um, <laughs> Yeah, because what we're seeing now is that it doesn't matter how many multimillionaires, billionaires you have in a society, um, you can get to a point where you call the ambulance and it might not come. Mm. Trains might not run. Teachers, you know, may go on strike because you're not looking after everyone. And I have a grand plan. If I did, if I did become a politician, I have a grand plan for the UK. I want to live in a country where everything is boring, but everything works. Interesting. That's that's genuinely what I want. And I think that giving people the information and the knowledge of how the system works and how they can navigate it is, is core to that. Mm, absolutely. Because I think um, there are two systems that exist. Well, there's probably many more, and I'm oversimplifying. Yeah. But there is the system that we're taught of what you do in life and how you navigate life and how you progress. And then there's actually how the system works. Mm. And the two are not congruent. And the two do not share much overlap. You know, you go to school, you learn certain things, you go to the university system, you get a mortgage. Like, that is how you progress in the system 
which is pushed by a lot of narratives. But when you look at how those people are behaving, the people pushing those narratives and their system, the system that I think you're helping people tap into by understanding actually the best way to manage your money, preserve, grow your wealth, I think it's um, you know really eye-opening for a lot of people. And what we need to realize, the system that we're talking about is capitalism. Yes. Um, and what we need to understand about capitalism is it is an infinite game. Like, that's not my concept. That's a, a book by Simon Sinek. But it's, it is a game that cannot be won. There is never going to be um, a point where we go, ah, oh, like, the economy is gr- has grown enough. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go home. Um, or, like, wages are high enough or inflation is high enough. Everything has been set up to just gradually tick upwards over time. Um, and... That's why you need, I, I think that rather than like playing the game endlessly, you need well, some people want to do that and that's fine, but I would prefer to like leave the game. Mm. Um, and in order to, to, to escape a system, you need to you need to like operate within it so that you can you can then leave. It's interesting. It's interesting. My view has always been the way to change the system is to actually exit it and not operate within it so for example you know if you follow the system i.e you go to university you get a job you get a corporate career all that side of things i think you are not in a position to really impact it taking that side route and saying i'm going to start my own thing i'm going to be an educator of people myself i'm going to start movement that side for me that is exiting the system right yeah so that that's how i managed to to exit it yeah um because whilst i'm uh, you know, I'm still building my wealth. I'm still my wealth building journey. I'm actually very fortunate in that I get to spend pretty much all of my time doing exactly what I want to do. From the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I am doing broadly what I want to do. Um, it's like wake up, respond to some emails, make content, come on great shows like this, go to events, speak at events. I feel free. Yes, I that really, is freedom. I really, really do feel free. And... I think that you can get that freedom by having loads and loads of money, but you can also have that freedom by being paid to do what you're passionate about. Mm. And mm. I think that second one is a lot more achievable and is what I wish for, for absolutely everybody. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I see that the youngest generation now, they really don't accept the fact that they have to go and work for someone else. They don't accept the fact that yeah. they have to go down those routes. And we're not, we're not um, ba- employee bashing at all, right? Mm. Like um, there are, you know, there are many in- industries which would crumble if they didn't have employees, many things that, that wouldn't get done. What's important is that, you know, you have one life, your life is limited. Um, spending your time with people or doing things that you don't enjoy, that you don't like, that that's a tremendous waste. That is yes. a huge shame actually when you think about the fact that this plane of existence only exists once even yes. if you believe in an afterlife like after that uh, after this it will be something fundamentally different this life that you have you only have it once you may as well spend it doing things that you enjoy and, and having fun yeah absolutely and i think if you're in employment you've got to tr- and this is ridiculous for me to say i've never had a job in my life right so okay. I, I don't like this is how i assume um I would play employment. Sure. Either it's going to be something which I love doing, I love the people I work with, and that's great, uh, and it's something that I'm passionate about and there's a purpose behind it, or it's uh, I'm not going to take my work home with me. 
I'm going to work my nine to five and I'm going to really in love my work-life balance yeah. and that, and be very, very strict with my boundaries and be like, cool, this is what I'm paid to do and I'm going to explore all the other amazing things the world has to offer outside of those hours. I think you're right. When you're, you know, in that limbo between them, I think that's what you've got to really ana- analyse. Can I say something which might potentially be controversial? Absolutely. So, I, w- I would welcome that. Um, <laughs> like, I, I actually think everyone should be passionate about what they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that it's not possible for everyone and that particularly if you're young, you have to go through a period of your life where you're doing the nine to five thing and you're working for money. But I think that we should all be aiming to be passionate about what we do Mm. because it's what we would expect from other people. And I'll give you an example. Like if you had to have a medical procedure done on you and you were given the choice of two doctors (laughs) One is trying to clock out at five o'clock and the other is passionate about heart surgery yes. and you were given the choice, which of the two doctors would you choose? Uh, I'm, I'm going for the passionate like, doctor. You'd go for the person <laughs> who like lives to do it, right? Yes. Um, I think that that is the stent. Not, not everything is like heart surgery, but I think that there, there is something in that, right? That, There's like, definitely something in that. Although, you trust the person mm. who actually leaps out of bed to do what they're doing that day rather than is just trying to... Without a doubt, money. without a doubt. Although I think, um, you know, you're pr- unlikely to go down the route of surgery with all of the barriers to entry and everything else unless you were really passionate yeah. about that, right? And I think as well, there's got to be a, you know, there are a lot of jobs out there which I don't think you can have pride in, but are you ever going to be passionate about stacking a shelf? Like passionate about stacking a shelf. I don't know. Maybe maybe you are, maybe not. You're gonna have pride in your work for yeah. sure. You may not be passionate about stacking the shelf, but you may love what the company that you're stacking the shelf for yeah. does. You may work in like a vegan health mm. food store or whatever the case may be. I just it's just an aspiration that I have for everyone. Um that that they love what they do. Yeah, nice. I like it a lot. So when was the last time that you were in employment? November twenty twenty. Okay. And Talk to us about the risk you took making that switch. Yeah, and I did take a bit of a risk, right? Um, So I used to work for a business support charity um, for for a couple of years. Um, I want to say I joined them in either late 2018 or early 2019. So I was with them for two years, and they run incubators and accelerators to support businesses, and I actually joined them as an entrepreneur. Mm. And so there was not this surprise of like, oh, Timmy's running a business. It was something that I was always doing. And I worked there for four days a week. Mm-hmm. And then on the extra day, I would then work on my business. I actually had the first business um, at the time. Mr. Money Jar came in the summer of 2019. Uh-huh. So I worked four days a week, built Mr. Money Jar on that extra day and on evenings and weekends. And to anyone who's thinking of starting a business, actually, I'd, I'd recommend that you do it that way, that you... See if you rather than give yourself the because the company I had before I like quit my job completely with savings and I gave myself a year to build it and it didn't work out right because wow. that's not how business works like wow. traction takes however long it takes so with my second attempt I did it slowly over time and I think that it, it's a lot less pressure to build stuff because you can just do it organically but also from an income perspective rather than trying to replace one hundred percent of your employment income with your business. You're just trying to um, replace 20%. That's a yes. lot more doable, right? It's a lot more manageable. Um, I like that a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, just don't do the quit your job thing unless you're, like, definitely sure that you're going to hit the crown running afterwards. <laughs> um, 
And around this uh, November 2020 time, I'd just done a big uh, shoot. So I'd done um, Lad Bible Barclays, um, like my first kind of big piece of brand work with Mr. Money Jar. Nice. And I was also being invited to go on Sky News. It was on uh, like three or four times um, in like October 2020. Wow. In the mornings. And it's so weird because when you do news via, I've done news in the studio and you do news via Zoom. Yes. It was really weird because like you're on Zoom and you think that you're just going to be speaking to Kay Burley, but you're actually watching the TV feed. So you're yeah. actually watching a video of yourself speaking with like a three second delay. Mm-hmm. And um, if you watch the first video, you can kind of, I don't really know where to look. You can just kind of see my eyes darting around, but I got used to it after that. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, I was getting to the point where I was like, stuff looked like it was kind of bubbling um, under the surface. And um, I was doing Sky News in the morning. And then I was like sort of showing up to work late. And I thought, okay, it look, this looks, it looks like something's happening here. Um, I want to leave this company on good terms. So um, I'm going to like hand in my notice and I'm going to pursue Mr. Money Jar full time. I had a little bit of savings. I'd done that big piece of work, but I had no further like income booked. Right, so there was no pipeline. This yeah. is really taking a big step. Yeah, so after yeah, that, yeah. I'm just going to, and also it's like in the pandemic yeah. as well. So I was like, I'm just going to leave and I'm just going to pretend as if more money is going to come to me. Love that. I don't know if it's going to happen, but if I just keep doing what I've been doing up to this point, then more and more brands should should take notice. And that's that's how I approach that. So how much of this comes to self-belief? Because I, I know people who have seen really interesting opportunities. And in my view, the only thing that stopped them excelling yeah. is themselves. Yeah, yeah. You know, talk to me about your journey to self-belief. Yeah, um, I, self-belief is really real as is manifesting. It and is. I'm happy to speak about both. Yeah. I know that manifesting can seem a bit woo-woo and stuff, but I haven't been paid a salary by someone else since November 2020. And I do make things happen. Like I think things in my head and then I take action and then they actually happen. They don't always happen straight away, but they do happen. So self-belief is really important. And self-belief is like, uh, what's the quote now? Brian Tracy is a Canadian um, like public speaker and like su- success coach guy. Mm-hmm. And he has a great quote, which is, what would you do if you knew that your success was 100% guaranteed? Mm-hmm. It's a really powerful concept. Yep. I think that we lack belief in ourselves and we lack confidence because we think that what we're doing might not work. Yep. And that can stop you from even taking the first step. Yes. But if you knew that if you if you knew that in the end you would get the the million pound or you'd like win the competition or whatever yes it'll be hard yes it'll be difficult but you'll just do the thing you'll just take the steps because absolutely. you know it's going to happen absolutely so self belief um comes from knowledge that your outcome is going to happen and you get that knowledge through experience and through practice and th- through repeat exposure so it's really weird you kind of feel like self you should wait for the self-belief to come and then you take the action yeah but actually action begets self self-belief you put that perfectly you've put that perfectly and yeah. what one of my favorite quotes around this is if you believe you can or believe you can't yeah you're right yeah, yeah. it's as simple as that mm-hmm. and it's about that mix of self-belief and the undeniable proof yeah. right the self-belief say i can do this i can do this and, and the action that you take that yeah. becomes the proof and in terms of the action you take 
the way that you take action is you start small and then you build. Mm. So you take ac- you take action in really low stakes, benign environments where even if it doesn't work, the outcome is not that bad. That's where I've been shit. Okay, so <laughs> you you I'm just yeah you just dive straight into the ADHD. Okay. So with the ADHD brain, it's really interesting, or at least I find it interesting. Let's yeah. see if anyone else does. Uh, with ADHD brain, we require dopamine. For our brain to function okay. in the way a normal brain functions. Cool. And you can get your dopamine from tons of different things. For me, it's risk, right? F- love risk. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've always been bad at managing my risk in that way. And that's meant I've been a total shambles at times. Okay. I had payday loans at the time I sold my last company sure. because that's the level of like risk I was taking. And like, you know, I was so in a knife edge with everything as I'm sure we've all been at many times. Yeah. Um, so yes, I've been bad at that side, but I think your, your advice there is very, very sensible. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got to do it. Um, and you got to defer to the systems and the tools that you use that get you to do stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, when I wanted to hand in my notice, I like put it in my calendar because I listened to my calendar. Mm. So handing in my notice was like an event that I was going to do and stuff. And I remember I just I nice. did lots of kind of small scale experiments with Mr. Money Jar. This is really in the early days, but I did I did meetups. I did a boot sale once on the street market and stuff. And these were all small scale bits of action that I could take mm-hmm. where I didn't really mind if they worked or, or didn't work. It was just me trying things and having fun. And I could do that because I was working four days a week and I, did, I was still able to pay my bills and stuff. So that's the action piece. Manifesting, mm. um, I haven't really spoken about it publicly before, but I've thought about it a lot. And I think manifesting is taking strategic action to increase the likelihood of a desired outcome. Oh, that's beautiful. The way you, That is the best definition of manifestation I've heard. Yeah. And it works. It really, really does work. And it's almost, it's like time plus effort equals thing you want, mm-hmm. given enough time. Like, obviously, if you, if you like die suddenly or something, then that's, the game is over. That's going to be a bit of a spanner in the works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you, if, you ju- if you haven't, with enough runway mm. and with enough strategic action, you will get the outcomes that you want. And in fact, once you get to a certain point in your life, all the stuff that's happening around you is as a result of all the actions that you've taken before. Sure. So self-awareness is really important. Knowing what you actually want in life, truly, and not kind of comparing yourself to other people or trying to go for what you think you're supposed to want. And these pressures are really real and they're very, like, big, you know? like They cause lots of anxiety for a lot of people, lots of mental health issues. What your parents might want you to do or, yeah. like, what society might want you to do can yeah. be really, like, heavy and stuff. But you need to have the bravery to almost go, I've only got one life, this is my life, this is what I want. And you take strategic action towards it. Um, yeah, so I haven't, I haven't like shared this publicly before, but like, if I want to work with a particular client on um, digital content, for example, I will post that content on my platform. It works every time. It's like the softest of soft sells. Nice. So you don't um, go to them and say, "Do you want to run a campaign on X?" You just start to talk about that thing. So interesting. And then they'll see that people are commenting and liking and stuff. And then they'll get in touch and they'll be like, oh, we saw that you posted about X, Y, Z. But they, they didn't know that, like, I wanted to work with them, like, yeah. you know, three months ago and stuff. That is strategic action. That is deliberate strategic action to get a desired outcome. If there's a particular person you wanted to meet, like a famous person or someone you admire, 
you could probably meet them. You could probably like go out for dinner with them if you wanted to. You know, if you found out like where they hang out regularly, if you sent them a really well worded email that had something in it for them, you could do that. And once you begin to see manifesting happening, what actually happens is you build up a platform or a brand or um, like an area of expertise where it gets to a point where like it's not even luck anymore. People are just going to you because yes. you're the person. It becomes self-fulfilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It and then and then you're just and then, yeah, you're like, wow, this is this is like magic. Yeah, but it's not. It's actually just maths and probability. Maths, probability, and and perseverance. Yeah, as well. I think. Um, you know, I I was posting. I've been posting on LinkedIn for two years, let's say. And last week, I had my first proper viral post, like oh, eight, 18 million impressions. Oh, I think I saw, um, is it the one with the bold? The bionic the, reading. The bionic yeah, reading, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like, I saw that. Yeah, which is amazing. And then um, today, we got um, tagged in something, which was uh, the, the top 200 LinkedIn creators in the UK, Yeah, ranked 17th. And that's incredible, but it's only because been posting every day yeah, yeah. for two years and just making it happen you have to be in it to win it if you don't post at all then you definitely can't be tagged in the top 200 linkedin creators yes. so you have to post and then when you're posting you're posting specific things that you think will get you the desired outcome that's wicked and that that actually so simple right if you bold the first couple or first three letters of yep. a word then you just read those three letters, your brain fills in the blanks, and then your reading speed increases mm -hmm. by some crazy percentage. That yeah. was it. That was awesome. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. So let's talk a bit about risk because risk because I think um, I see a lot of people in their twenties who feel a lot of the pressures of society to have things, to have a property, to, to get on that ladder. And I think it's a massive cause of stress and anxiety and, and even feelings of inadequacy if they're not at a certain level by a certain age and all these other things that we sure. know. And I see, therefore, a lot of these people making very risky financial decisions to try and get everything at once, whether it be a crypto thing, wh whatever it might be. And I, I, I am a big fan of crypto. I'm not tarnishing everything with one brush as you know yeah um what's your advice to someone who is thinking about taking risks in their 20s financially in order to get these outcomes and and, and to anyone listening who's in that category what, what are you going to say to them yeah um first thing i want to say is i understand there's a lot of pressure to have the job have the business have the partner have the um the house and so on and so forth but if, if you're in your 20s there is very little rush. You have so many years ahead of you. And I remember being in my 20s and my extended friendship circles, it was almost like a race to see who could buy their house first, who could um, get engaged or get married first. And all of this is amplified by social media mm. and everyone looks um, like really happy and stuff. But what you find, even over just 10 years, right, what you find out is that actually everyone eventually ends up buying the house and then it just becomes normal. Yeah. And you go from having rented accommodation problems to purchase like a house you've bought problems. Those problems get bigger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to downplay the importance of buying a house at all, but like as with any kind of goal, you kind of do it and it's good, but it's never as good as it was in your head. Mm. The dopamine comes from the searching, not from the getting, from, not from the getting. Um, on the relationship front, um, like, like all the race to like get married and get engaged is there. But what actually matters is like what happens over the course of your life. 
because if I can be completely transparent, I got married and I'm getting divorced soon. And no one wants to talk about that when they're in their 20s was actually a reality of life. Like a lot of relationships don't make it. Yeah. So run your own race, have the self-awareness, know what you want in your life and just trust that it will come to you eventually. What's actually most important in life when you're young is to be present and to have fun. Because that's, a lo- that's the youngest, the fittest, okay, not necessarily the fittest, but um, like the youngest you'll ever be. So just be present and just make the most of, of the moment. You don't want to look back on your life and be like, oh, I was constantly chasing some future goal or worrying about stuff that hasn't even happened yet. If you worry about stuff that hasn't happened yet, you are firstly worrying about something that you may not have any control over. Yep. And you're putting yourself through the thing twice almost the opposite of the manifestation piece you're talking about yeah you're gearing up your life for bad news and, and if you're in that negative mindset you're you're bringing on seeing everything in a negative uh view and if you see things in negative view you miss opportunities you yeah. miss the optimism so it's it's there's the two sides of manifestation yeah. and mindset there yeah whatever you prime your mind to see it will see it's why sometimes you'll hear a word like lozenge yeah okay and then for the next month you'll just you'll just hear the word lozenge a lot because it's in it's in your head i'm gonna text you next time i hear it (laughs) yeah yeah you'll you'll probably hear it today like um so yeah that that would be my advice to to young people um but i do not want to minimize how difficult it is for young people at the moment um whether it's i was speaking to someone that was an event before this recording it's very very tough for people right now on the one hand Inflation is 10.1%, supposed to be two under normal circumstances, which means that, and and food price inflation is actually higher than that. The 10 is just the the average. So stuff is really expensive on the one hand. Then on the other hand, you've got the Bank of England raising interest rates to um, cool down the economy, Mm -hmm. making people's mortgages more expensive, which of course affects renters if um, landlords choose to pass it on. You've got the governor of the Bank of England saying, don't ask for pay rises. So stuff's really expensive over here, but you're not being paid over there. People, we know um, when we look at um, like the, the credit data, that credit card usage is up year on year. Mm, but, the intre- but the raising of interest rates makes debt more expensive. So you're like being squeezed from like all ends if you're, uh, if you're a young person. And then the way out of this is really through like innovation, economic growth and like rising wages because the prices are very unlikely to go back to where they were before because um, inflation is the rate of increase, right? So if, if inflation stay, uh, slows down to two, that's prices still in- increasing. Um, I think the cool term for falling inflation is disinflation. Deflation would be an inflation rate of less than 0%. Right. So it's really tough. The innovation and economic growth that's going to come from the next generation will come when you have policies targeted at making their lives easier so that they can actually, like... <laughs> do stuff right but we had a budget statement in the middle of march which had nothing for people on the age of 30 so true yeah if you're young cancel your netflix and learn maths yeah yeah all your problems are sorted yeah after that right so i just said all of that to say that like i really really care about the fates of of young people we have the most you know they're the most technologically advanced generation to ever live in this country we need to invest in them Mm. They are hugely important to the future growth and future success of this country. Yeah, I think that's a a brilliant point. And if you're a 20-something who 
has disposable income right now, if you're in that situation, where are you putting your cash right now? Um, where, where do I think they should put it? Yeah, yeah. Um, when it comes to using disposable income, I like to think of like three pots or jars, if you will, like short-term, medium-term and long-term mm-hmm. um, kind of saving and investments. Short-term, your emergency fund. If you lose your primary source of income, um, just have a think about how long you'd want to be able to meet your day-to-day expenses for, whether that's one month, three months, six months. And you just have that easy access account. You can access that money if you need to. It'll just give you that peace of mind that should the worst happen or should you become dissatisfied in your job, you have a cash buffer that's going to help you there. Then you have like medium-term expenses. This could be saving for a holiday, for a car, for a house deposit, which a lot of people be saving for right now. Mm-hmm. You can fill up that that jar uh, as well also investing in yourself training um i i'll come back to this in a second but like i'm a really big believer in investing in your in yourself and investing in skills that follow you throughout your life nice and one of the things i've done that in is in public speaking and like every year i'll just do a new public speaking thing but i can talk about like the various things i've done in that and then anything over and above that can go into um, like longer term investments, stock market, etc. Um, I like to think of savings in those three kind of uh, uh, pots. And the reason why I say that is because I'll typically speak to people. They'll have a big, with people with disposable income, they'll have a big wad of cash mm-hmm. in an easy access savings account earning less than 1% in interest. And they just don't know what to do with it and yeah. stuff. And I'll go, just try and think of these three different streams and then allocate your savings across the three of them. Now, if you don't have that disposable income and you're like, how do I fill up these uh, pots? You can do them uh, one after the other, like a waterfall. So emergency fund, fully funded, great. Moving on to saving for the house deposit, great. I'm going to save for the future. Or you can do them in tandem. So you can use what extra money you have and just go £10, £10, £10 Mm. um, and, and just build from there. And final thing I'll say is when it comes to savings, like a lot of things we've been saying on this episode, start small, start ridiculously small, you know, um, even if it's five pounds in a month, that's better than nothing because you're starting small with the aim to build over time Yeah, and you're bedding in the, hab- the, the, the habit. Yeah, no, that's amazing advice. It's amazing. What I really like about the way that you put it as well is it's actually very, very, you know, cognizant of the fact that people are human beings with beyond just financial concerns i love the fact that you talk about investing in yourself and and, and that side yeah. of it as well i think it's so super important and if i could talk about the investing in yourself piece um because it's it's related to risk too so i used to be really um like terrified of speaking in public <laughs> really really scared of doing it i wouldn't know that now um yeah yeah well, yeah i um yeah, even even going to an event and like, you know, that at the end of like any questions, putting my hand up to ask a question, my heart will be beating in like my throat. Um, and I recognize that it was a problem that I had to, to solve because if you can speak, then this is something that is like hugely valuable. Mm. And so since 2017, um, I did, I've done like intensive public speaking courses. I did Toastmasters for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I did improv with hoopla they're a great company that do improv last year i did um stand-up comedy training with hoopla and, and this year i've got a, a voice acting coach oh nice yeah to unlock kind of just different 
aspects of my voice. That's um, interesting. And the reason why I chose public speaking as the avenue to invest in myself is it doesn't really matter what field you're in, what age you get to. If you can stand up on stage and speak to a room full of people, whether it's 50 people or 5,000 people, mm-hmm. and articulate your points clearly and persuade and um, negotiate with people, that is a very high value skill yes. that crucially most normal people don't want to do because yes. it's terrifying. Yes. They say that people are, are actually more scared of public speaking than dying. Than, than dying, yeah. yeah. Which means you would rather be in the funeral than giving the eulogy, which yeah, I always yeah. thought was interesting. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I've never heard it put that way, but yeah. that's, that's yeah, very, very apt. Yeah, and that comes from fear of judgment, fear mm-hmm. of being exposed. You have all these eyes on you, and in your primitive brain, you're worried that if you say or do something that um, offends the tribe, that you will be cast out. That's where that comes from. God, and I wonder what's in my brain that just means I was never afraid of being cast out by the tribe. Well, Probably yeah. not a good thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is the great thing about neurodiversity is that mm. it's the recognition that different people have different brains and um, there's protection in that. If everyone has the same strengths and weaknesses, then that is a weakness in, in and of itself. That this, Everyone can be taken down by the same thing. Interesting. Um, so... Yeah, that you, you get rid of the fear of judgment by approaching public speaking from a place of generosity rather than neediness. So rather than needing the people to validate you and like what you're wearing or think that you're good looking or whatever, actually you're there to speak to a group of people who have gotten up and left their house that day, potentially paid to hear you talk about something that you're an expert in and they want you to succeed and they need your help. Mm. And actually public speaking um, is is something that you can see is going well as you're doing it. And so if you can just crack the first like couple minutes and you get the people on side, you know that you're going to be fine. It's the best thing about stand up and you know like we've both done stand up yeah. extensively and um you know there is no better feeling yeah. than when you're killing it and a crowd is eating at your hand yeah. and then I'm sh- you know once you do that yeah. giving like a expert subject matter speech sure. is the easiest thing in the world right yeah. once you've done stand up you know the, any other sort of public speaking from my perspective is so much easier but i think everyone should do stand up i think i think, I think so too everyone should do stand up yeah. because the transferable skills and then reading a crowd and seeing when they're you know when yeah. you've got them and if it's a business pitch a sales pitch like it's such an awesome skill yeah people think that stand up is like um well, some people spring to think that stand up is like this kind of off the cuff thing where someone's just um, spontaneously funny on stage, and there are people like that, and they're incredible. Yeah, they're like it's a skill, you know, like Eddie Eddie Izzard or mm. something, where they're just kind of making stuff up, stuff up on the fly. But actually, stand up is um, is a game of tennis. So you say something, you bat the ball to them, they laugh, they bat it back, and you're just doing that for the whole kind of um, for the whole set, and the best stand-ups are the ones who are performing something they've performed a hundred times, but they can make it look like they're performing it for the first time. And actually the reason why things like Edinburgh Fringe um, have been so big historically is because bigger stand-ups will take a whole load of material to these festivals and then we'll trial stuff. And like half the the jokes will flop and then half of them will work. So by the time you see them in their one hour special, they've just got the stuff that worked um, and they've dropped all of the other stuff. And the way that you, um, yeah, tell the, you, the way that you like get over jokes not working is actually by just having so many. 
It's almost like a yo sushi like trolley yeah, where you're like, okay, yeah. you didn't like that one. Okay, fine. Well, here's the next one. The funny thing is, and I always remember there was there was two nights. I did uh, two sets back to back, two different clubs, and same set, same set. First club killed. Mm. Second one bombed. It's also about the room. It's yeah. about the room. That's why I love stand up because it's just like. It's psychology, it's science, it's art, it's yeah. luck, it's everything. But it's, okay, we, we could do three hours on this. True, I've got five true. questions yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I, that I ask everyone sure, that sure. we're, we're going to probably, unfortunately, have to get through quite quickly. So, okay, biggest risk you've taken and what was the outcome? Biggest risk I've taken is leaving my job um, in November 2020 with no financial pipeline at all to start Mr. Money Jar. And the outcome is that I'm here today on this amazing podcast having a conversation about having taken that risk and all of the opportunities that have come between. Amazing. Amazing. You've got such a good way of putting things. You know, it's always nice to hear it from you, honestly. Um, okay, what are you proudest of? Um, I am proudest of... That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'll tell you what I'm proudest of. It's actually quite recent. I saw a quote over the weekend that said, meet yourself where you are. Okay. And it, like, changed the game for me when i see something that i perceive as true i like immediately download the app and it becomes part of me so i've been doing meet the world where it stands for a long time i've historically been quite like an angry person like i have a sense of how the world should be mm-hmm. and then i get annoyed and then i get like angry at the world and then i encountered this idea of like meeting the world where it stands which is the acknowledgement that like i haven't been alive that long the planet's been spinning for four and a half billion years. It's not going to change just because of me. So you actually need to meet society and whatever where it stands and then just make your own little um, like improvements, put your own little spin on it. Meet yourself where you are helps you when it comes to when you fail to meet your own expectations or when you have disappointments, you oversleep, you um, like mess up in like a work meeting or something. You're not always going to be at your best. So it's about practicing self-love and being kind to yourself and I'm proud of the fact that I actually do that quite a lot. I don't always succeed in things I want to, but I do find the time to be kind to myself and give myself a bit of grace. Love that. Love that. It's an important message for a lot of people to hear. That's a, a nice one. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything you wish you'd done differently? Um. Yeah, look particularly when it comes to finance, there's a thing of like, I started investing at 26. Like, oh, what if I'd invested at 18? Um, I started one company, it didn't work out. I started the second one. Actually, do you know what? Like, not everything has gone to plan, but like, if I hadn't had done all the things I'd done, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so I just accept everything that's happened as my path. So, no, I don't actually. That's great. That's great. Okay. What does it take to be successful yeah back to what we were saying at the start of the episode Roy I think that in where you have you know life is like a video game where you just constantly have one life remaining at all times so have fun with the game like do do stuff that you want to do like obviously don't don't like um like hurt yourself or other people or like kill yourself or something but like have fun try things don't let fear stop you from doing things because the purpose of fear in your brain is to stop you from like dying mm-hmm. or like hurting yourself really badly. If there's something you want to do and you can deduce that it's not going to kill you or hurt you, then you've got to do that thing because the fear is just like this imagined thing in your brain. Yes. On the other side of taking that action is all is where all the amazing stuff is. So true. So true. I, I, 
I'm fascinated by the idea of feelings and mind and are they combined? Does one distract from the other? But fear is the biggest one, right? You know, the, the amount of things we don't do from fear or did do for fear is... Yep. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what would happen. You know, like you said before, the quote about what if you're guaranteed 100% success? Yes. I would imagine what the world would look like if there was no fear. Probably be pretty chaotic, yeah, but in a yeah. good way. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I've got two more questions. I'm sorry we've had to blast through them, and we'll, we'll definitely do another episode at some That's point. Okay. That's okay, we'll definitely do another episode at some point. 15-year-old Timmy walks in the room right now. What are you telling him? Um, I tell him to just be less angry. Um, I've historically been quite an angry person. I don't like yell or shout or anything. A lot of it's like quite internalized and quite seething and stuff. And I've recently um, realized through conversations with like trusted friends that like anger is actually a massive waste of time. Um, I don't know about you, but like I'm not really capable of experiencing multiple emotions at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the opportunity cost of being angry is actually you could have spent that time loving people you could have spent that time solving problems and as much as anger might feel good and like it's your anger you get to hold on to it and like wield it against people particularly when you're angry with people um they're not aware of it you're Mm -hmm. just kind of punishing yourself try and see if you can find the gift in the situation try and see if you can find the constructive way to like emotionally react to a situation so do everything that you would have done already 15 year old timmy but but just with a bit less anger i love that okay i've got a last question i didn't prep you for this and i've not asked this before okay but i was thinking about it the other night and i thought maybe we can add a sixth what scares you oh wow <laughs> sorry to drop that yeah one. yeah no um what what genuinely scares me is um uh kind of getting to like my final moments and realizing that I didn't do a thing that I really wanted to do. And this could be something like really small. It could be like, Oh, I really want to see the Mario movie. And then I, (laughs) and then I die or something. But that, that really, it really does scare me when I think of that, actually like my chest like constricts up and like, I'm like, Oh, but then I don't just sit in the fear. Mm. I then use that as a reason to like definitely do that thing. So for people who like know me um, or like have met me, if, if I ever do anything that seems weird or like really spontaneous or, or like whatever, um, and th- this could just be like calling someone randomly, right? It, it's because I've had that thought and I've gone, oh, wow, like what if I never speak to this person again? Let me just call them. Yeah. I, I do that a lot. Wow. Timmy, thanks so much for sharing that. Man. This has been amazing. What do you want to plug? Um, yeah, I, I'm. At, this has been a really different but like amazing type of conversation for me. But most of the time I'm speaking about personal finance, getting on property ladder, investing for beginners. I'm at Mr. Money Jar across all social media. Um, and I also want to shout out National Numeracy, a charity that I'm an ambassador of. We help um, UK adults and children feel good about numbers, feel confident about numbers. Um, we've got National Numeracy Day coming up on the 17th of May and we've got some great activities and content around that as well. Amazing. Timmy, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.